had a great week and if you haven't hoping you'll find uh, the encouragement and strength you need uh, today from a time just together with your church family and worship leave those cares behind you hear God's word and respond to it and leave ready to face uh, a brand new uh, week uh, I want to remind you that uh, after special music this morning we're going to resume uh, our uh, children's uh, worship ministry that's for ages three through kindergarten and uh, that's just to uh, give parents uh, just uh, who have uh, what I call the wigglers and the squigglers just a little bit of uh, more freedom uh, to uh, to listen and to respond gets those kids in here for the first part of the service but remember now uh, according to North Carolina math where I grew up first grade second grade third grade fourth grade that comes after kindergarten and so that ministries for three years old through kindergarten. So if you're in first, second, third, or fourth grade, you won't be eligible uh, for that ministry. And there's a reason for that, okay? Uh, statistics show that a lot of churches that are just heavily focused on age-graded ministries, uh, when young adults turn 18 years old, they don't know how to function within the life of the church. There's always been a ministry for them where they've been corralled, and then when they reach that certain age group, they get tossed over into the next silo, we want children to know how to function within the life of their church family. So when they turn 18, they don't have to ask, what do you have for me now? Uh, it's what they've always had. They know how to be a functioning member of a church family through the personal relationship that they have with Christ. So there's a reason for that. So they'll begin right after special music this morning. So if you need that and you want your child to go to that, the same protocols will be in place that we have in here and we hope you'll use that. Well, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask for his guidance and leadership over this service and over our lives. Let's pray together now. Father, thank you for this day, for the gift of it. Uh, Lord, you are so good to us. We're so undeserving of your grace and your mercy and your goodness. Father, it's my prayer that everyone here, everyone listening, can honestly say the truth of the song we heard played, uh, that it's, it's down at the cross. There's been a day where the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to their life. And Father, if there's someone here, someone listening who can't say that, there's never been a moment where they've repented and by faith trusted Christ to be Lord of their life. God, they'll do that today. They'll turn and trust Jesus. God, I pray as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians, those deeper truths that the Apostle Paul was seeking to instill in the hearts and lives of that church there at Ephesus. Father, I pray those time-transcending truths your Holy Spirit will make alive today. Father, you'll strike application to our hearts. And Father, we'll respond to a time of invitation today as you invite us and you call us. Those who've never been saved will turn and trust you, but every believer will be drawn into a deeper, 
more abandoned, more committed, surrendered relationship that will be a Luke 9.23 disciple. It will be a reality indeed, not in word only. God, do pray if there's a Christian here, someone listening, who stands in need of revival today. There's unconfessed sin in their life. Father, I pray you'll make them most miserable uh, through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, and they'll repent of that and experience your reviving touch upon their life today. Father, praise we sing today. Despite all that's going on in the world, what's going on in just our, our local world around us, Father, I pray we'll just tap into another world today. And Father, I really pray that the words that come across our lips will be a reflection of our hearts and will uplift and magnify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he's worthy and do it all. It's in his precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Brother Scotty. Let's all stand. The sinking sand, it is the Christ of Calvary. This would be my prayer, dear Lord, each day to help me do the best I can. For I need thy light to guide me day and night, blessed Jesus, hold my hand. Jesus, hold my hand. I need thee every hour Through this pilgrim land Protect me by thy power Hear my feeble plea Oh Lord, look down on me When I kneel in prayer I hope to meet you there Blessed Jesus, hold my hand. When I kneel in prayer, I hope to meet you there. Blessed Jesus, hold my hand. Someday when I travel my last mile, the
Yeah. 
as Randy comes and sings for us. Today I faced a mountain that I never faced before That's why I'm calling on you Lord I know it's been a while but Lord, please hear my prayer. I need you like I never have before. Sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes a troubled sea. Sometimes it takes a day. Get a hold of me. Your love is so much stronger than whatever troubles me. Sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and Forgive me, Jesus, I thought I could control Whatever life would throw my way But this, I will admit, has brought me to my knees I need you, Lord, and I'm not ashamed to say Sometimes it takes a mountain Sometimes a troubled sea Sometimes it takes a desert To get a hold of me Your love is so stronger than whatever troubles me sometimes it takes a mountain to trust you and believe sometimes it takes a mountain Sometimes a troubled sea Sometimes it takes a desert To get a hold of me Your love is 
so much appreciate all of the work and effort uh, that everyone uh, that's involved in our uh, music ministry puts in uh, each week. I uh, don't know if we have any uh, three-year-olds through kindergartners, uh, but if we do, you can make your way toward the back door. Suzanne will meet you there. And church family, I'll be asking you to find this morning the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 1. We'll continue our study that we started last week in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read this morning in verse number 15. For a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject, upon further reflection. Upon further reflection. Ephesians 1, we'll begin to read in verse 15. I invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Ephesians chapter 1, begin to read in verse number 15. The Bible says these words, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love, for all the saints do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray together. Father, again, thank you for this time. Father, thank you for what we've already felt and experienced. And God, I pray that the messages, the challenge of the music today uh, would really grip the heart of someone that's here today, a believer that has unrepented sin in their life. God, I pray you'll remind them that whom you love you will chasten. God, I pray we'll not be so stiff-necked and hard-headed that we have to come to a place that you have to drive us to our knees to get our attention. Father, for where we are 
and we've drifted away from you. So I pray if there's one that stands in need of revival today, Father, they'll already begin to confess that sin and experience your fresh touch upon their life. Pray for the lost again, God, those who've never been saved, those who've never, like, like the church at Ephesus, those who, those who once responded to the gospel. We pray that if there's someone here today who never has, they'll do that, Father. They'll respond to the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, turn from sin and self, and trust you to be Lord of their life. And Father, I pray that you'll not allow the devil today to lure our minds and our attention away from what are deeper truths in your word, deeper doctrine. God, I pray that we'll grow as a result. Remind us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that even means, God, we can understand the more difficult texts that you have in your holy word that you've given to us. Bless this time. Draw us to a time of invitation. Your will be done in every heart and every life as we respond and bow our knee to your will today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. Remember again, just in review, uh, that you can look in the book of Acts chapter 19, and that, that shows us the founding of the church there at Ephesus, how Paul, after his life had been changed in Acts chapter 9, he began to respond to the call that God had placed upon his life. He began to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and through uh, those missionary journeys, through the province of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he found himself there in Ephesus for three years. He ministered, he shared the gospel, reaching, teaching, encouraging, being a great commission, and churches were planted there. Now Paul's been imprisoned. Uh, as he writes this, and, and that's good to remember, you know, to, to help us understand, as, as we, we see this encouragement and we hear this encouragement from the book of Ephesus, Paul's not writing uh, from, you know, the villages down in Florida sitting by a pool sipping on iced tea as a retired apostle reflecting on his ministry. He's in the deepest, grungiest part of the prison and still yet, He's encouraging believers who are also facing a difficult time in a difficult culture there in Ephesus. He's encouraging them on to faithfulness, to finish well, to serve. And so the first half of the book of Ephesians, there's a lot of, of deep doctrinal truth uh, that we can understand uh, as believers with the aid of the Holy Spirit. And then the last half is more about practical application. Last week we saw, you know, nine reasons that we drew out of why it's great to be a Christian. Uh, if you've got a King James Bible, you'll see that the, those verses, uh, verses 3 through 14, it's really one sentence. It's that way in the Greek. It's the longest sentence in, in all of Scripture. Paul just gets so full of himself and full of the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean full of flesh, but he's just so excited as God begins to lay these truths on his heart about what's so great about being a Christian, he doesn't even stop. I mean, he just has one run-on sentence uh, through all of it and just begins to write these truths down. He was so excited. But, but then he, he adds more uh, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit in this last part of the chapter to, to encourage uh, the church there to, to deeper maturity. And remember, there's, there's three things about every scripture. There's the original message to the original audience, the time-transcending truth that never changes, and then there's the application to, to our lives. And so as we come to verses 15 through 23 of Ephesians chapter 1, it, it's almost as if Paul, in writing this letter, he pauses and, and he has, you know, upon further reflection, he, even though he's given all of these truths, he's just so excited he writes this big, long sentence in verses 3 through 14, 
he, he begins to think of some other things. And it's almost, you know, upon further reflection, I also want to share these things with you to encourage you on to faithfulness, some things to remind them of. And the first thing he reminds them of, number one, is that godliness is revealed. Godliness is revealed. Don't you listen to me, friend. If, if you've been saved and you're living a life daily, a full surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it's not going to be hidden. It's going to be evident. It's going to be seen. I, I remember trying to talk to a man one time to discover whether he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he said, well, those things are, are private. And friend, that is just foolishness. There's nothing private about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That life is to be lived out daily in all times, in all places. What he meant was, no, I'm lost and I don't want to talk about it. And he just didn't want to say that. And so when you, when you live for the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to be seen. It's going to be evident. Look what Paul writes in verse number 15 of Ephesians chapter 1. He says, therefore, so you go, when you see the word therefore, in the scripture, you go back to those previous verses. He said, based upon everything I've already said, based on all those things that I've already encouraged you and why it's so great to be a Christian, therefore I also, he says, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love, for all the saints. Now, 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 follow me on this. Paul spent three years in Ephesus. He planted the church there. He, he's not talking about, well, hey, you know, I lived in a corner and did my own thing and I never saw anything in your life. And someone came and told me that a church actually got planted there. No, he's talking about what continued after he left. He said the church that was planted, he said, you continued on. It, it wasn't like, you know, uh, just a, a youth trip commitment where, you know, so many sometimes, everybody grew up around church, grew up in the youth ministry, and you know you'd go to camp and you'd write all your sins down on a piece of paper and burn them in the campfire, and everybody's excited, they're ready to charge the world. But friends, when you get back home, that's when you're going to see whether that commitment was real or not. And so Paul says the commitment you made and the decisions you made, he said, they were real. He says, I've, look at verse 15. He says, I've heard of your faith, your lived out faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I've, I've, I've heard about your love for all the saints. He says that it's real. It, it was evident. It happened when Paul uh, was, was there. Acts chapter 19 speaks of some amazing things that took place. Uh, just let me read uh, where the Bible says in verse number 17 that it, it became known uh, both to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus uh, how the Holy Spirit was moving, how he was working the life of the church. And the Bible says, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord was magnified. Now listen, this in verse 18. And many who had believed, this is in Ephesus, they came confessing and telling their deeds. That is, they, they confessed their sins, they put them behind them. And many who had practiced magic brought their books together, and they burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of all those things, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Uh, what he's saying is people, people really, they began to respond, not just in word, but in deed. They began to be sanctified and set apart so much sorrow that it was seen. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse number 46, Why do you call me Lord and not do the things which I say? And so, friend, listen, the, the real mark of spiritual maturity and the evidence of godliness is not who you are here on the church property. It's not who you are when you're just around your church. Family. It's who you are at home. 
It's who you are on the workplace. It's how you treat the cashier. It's how you treat the receptionist at the doctor's office that got your appointment wrong and you're just all ticked off and you're going to let them have it. It's how you respond to the person on the phone, you know, that when, when the customer service rep that's trying to help you. It's how you respond to your neighbor. It's how you respond to a boss or an employee. That's, that's the real you, who you are in Christ. Godliness is revealed. It's going to be seen. It's going to be evidenced in how you speak at all times. You can't cherry-pick and compartmentalize. The sum total of who you are in Christ is who you are, the, the doctrine that you live out. And so from Acts 19, these people continued to grow. And word came to Paul. And so often I hear people when I'm talking to them saying, you know, well, I used to do this for Jesus. And years ago I used to serve. And you, friend, that's great what you used to do. But what are you doing today? What are you committed to? Are you still living on mission? Are you still studying your Bible every day? Are you still loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are you still loving your neighbor as yourself? Godliness is revealed. Uh, I didn't like it when I was young, even if it was going to be a good one. You're just always worried. But you remember when progress reports would come home? And, you know, and it was, it was just that little indicator to your parents midway through those six weeks. We, we, had, we, we had every six weeks we got report cards. And it was just that little indicator of how your progress is, how you're... Now, listen, I could come home and tell, how's school going? Great. How's, how's history? Fine. Wonderful. How's math? Doing great. Everything's wonderful. But listen, I could say whatever I wanted to, but the progress report told the whole truth. And the report card, it summed everything up. Friend, I want to remind you, there's not a thing that you can do, think, place you can go, friend, that you are not out of the all-seeing, all-knowing eyes of Almighty God. He sees all. I want you to know too, friend, your neighbor's watching. Grandparents, your grandchildren are watching. Parents, your children are watching. It's not just what you say, it's what you do. Godliness is revealed. But how encouraging, friend, that a godly testimony encourages others. You, you think, well, I just, man, this, this last year of COVID, I've just haven't been able to use my spiritual gift at church. I just, I haven't really been able to, to help anybody. Friend, I'm telling you, your response to challenges and adversity just to the virus can be an encouragement to someone else. But on the flip side, a flesh response it could be a discouragement. And so people are watching. Paul was in prison. He heard how this church was growing in their faith and in their love for one another, and it encouraged him. But also, it moved him to prayer. And so Paul begins to pray for them about some specific things, and he shares and reminds them another truth. Uh, not only is godliness revealed, but number two, growth is required. Where there's life, there must be growth. Uh, I remember when we had to go to those well checks when Em and Nick were babies and we would go in and they would, you know, grab them and put their head up the top and they'd stretch their legs out and they'd jerk them back and they'd pull them down they'd jerk them back and they wanted to see how long they had gotten since the last time we'd been there. They would weigh them to see are they, are they, gaining, are they gaining weight. Now the doctor would come in and he'd have this, this sliding chart and they're in this percent that I never understood. I was going, are they healthy, yes or no? All right, good. Well, listen, growth is required as a believer. Friend, listen, there's only one thing that happens 
when, 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 when something doesn't continue to grow, and that's death. When something is stagnant, it rots. And so you're either moving forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ, or you're moving backward. There's no in-between. In, in John chapter 15, Jesus gives a, a beautiful illustration of his relationship to the church and what God's expectations are when we are grafted into the family of God. In verse number 1, he says, I'm the vine, and, and, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Why? Because growth is required. And every branch that bears fruit, he, the master pruner, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He says, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Jesus was shown when you are grafted into the family of God, when you are tapped into him, when you are receiving the word, you're abiding in the word, and you're obeying the word, growth's going to take place. But if growth doesn't take place, it's either because, one, you've never been saved, or number two, you're not responding to the word and to the will of God. And, and that's one of the reasons Paul, uh, verses we looked at Wednesday night in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says in the last days there will be Christians who will, will remove themselves from churches that preach and teach the whole counsel of God's Word because they don't want to grow. They don't want to endure sound doctrine whereby they can know God's will and discover God's will and then obey God's Word and will. They have determined the direction they want to go in their life, and they want someone to tell them something that will appease their ears that they can endure, and that they can, that can, that they can respond to that makes them feel better. Hebrews chapter 2, the author of Hebrews says, therefore, in, in chapter 2 verse 1, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. Now listen, for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The author of Hebrews says, listen, you're not going to be able to escape temptation, challenge, difficulty, all the, all the spiritual warfare that we're going to see in Ephesians 6 that Satan tries to throw at you. You can't be able to escape that if you neglect the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ, if you neglect your personal relationship. You must be constantly growing in the Lord. And that's what Paul began to pray. Look at verse number 16 of Ephesians 1. He says, I do not cease to give thanks. There's a prayer of thanksgiving. Making mention for you in all my prayers. Verse 17, what? Well, for four different things he's praying. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That is, you're going to have understanding, first off, in the knowledge of him. Paul says you need to be, you need to be growing, first off, in your knowledge of God. You need to be growing in your knowledge of him. Philippians chapter 3 and verses 7 through 10, he's, Paul says, but the things that were gained to me, that is, all the political power and the place that he had before he knew Jesus Christ, he says, all the things that were gained to me, he says, I've counted loss. Now listen to me. He says, yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not just to know about him. Listen, when, when, when the Bible speaks about the knowledge of Christ, it's, it's not talking about just having a head knowledge. It's a heart knowledge. It's to know him by 
personal relationship. Uh, many years ago, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law had an apartment beside me. And one day I was in their house, and I looked on the refrigerator, and I saw this beautiful young girl, on the young woman, on the, on the refrigerator. And I said, who is that? And my sister-in-law says, well, that's my sister. And I was a single man, of course, at the time. And so I knew then that she had a sister named Melissa. I knew that. But then later on, uh, I met Melissa. She asked me out, then asked me to marry her. And then, <laughs> no, I asked her out. And I asked her. But listen, then, then we knew each other personally. I just didn't know about her. Then I had a personal relationship with her. Friend, listen, that's how far most people in the South are from being saved. About 18 inches. They know Jesus is the Son of God, but they don't know Him in a personal saving relationship because they've never repented. In Romans 10, 9, 10, by faith they've never trusted Him to be Lord of their life. Paul says, I count all these things lost for the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom things I've suffered all loss of all things. And he says, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, listen, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, listen, verse 10, that I may know him, and I may know the power of his resurrection. And Paul says not just to know him, but to continue to get to know him. From the, from the first time I met my wife, I've continued to learn things about her because we, we developed a relationship. We spent time together. We got to know one another. And Paul says, I'm praying that you're going to grow in your knowledge of God. Not just your God. Well, Paul was here three years ago and we had a crash course, and so we're good. I don't need to learn anything else. Paul says, no, my prayer is that you'll continue to grow in that relationship. It's, it's required. You're going to have a deeper knowledge of him and who he is. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Paul, Paul said to the church at, 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 at Corinth, he says, now, now, I, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says that you, you all speak the same thing. There be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together with the same mind in the same judgment, says, because it's been declared to me, he says, that there's a division uh, amongst you. He says, but I want you, to, I want you to be unified as a church family in your knowledge of Christ. But then he goes over in chapter 2 and verse number 10, and he begins to say, God has revealed these truths to us by his Spirit. He says, the, the, deep, the deep things of God, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, those deep doctrinal truths. He said, God has revealed them to us as believers. For, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now listen. He said, now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. That is, the moment you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live within your heart, and you got all of Him. The question is, as it comes to sanctification, daily does He have all of you? And so He's in you. He's going to help you understand the deeper truths of God. He continues on, verse number 13. He says, These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, 
but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. The natural man does not receive the things of the spiritual God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And Paul says, I'm praying in my prayer, he says that daily you're going to grow in your knowledge of God. Listen to what he says again. Look at your text in verse 18 of chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. He says, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. He says that the, the, the lights are going to turn on. He said that as you read Scripture and you look at some of these deeper doctrinal truths and you begin to study and to meditate, you make sure that there's no unconfessed sin within your life. Psalm 6, 6, verse 18, because our sin separates us from God. It's going to hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You've grieved Him, you've quenched Him. When you have a right relationship with Christ and you study God's Word and you pray about those harder-to-understand truths, friend, listen, the Holy Spirit will turn the lights on. You're going to know more about God. And the more you know Him, the more you're going to love Him. And the more you love Him, the more you're going to want to serve Him. This was evidenced in the life of the Apostle Paul. Listen, when he got saved in Acts chapter 9, God got all of him. And he was so excited. And, and after Ananias came to see him and lay hands on him. Now listen to this. Verse number 20 says that immediately Paul began to preach Christ in the synagogues that he was the son of God. He preached all that he knew to preach. He just, he just preached what had happened to him. The Bible says in verse number 21 that all those that heard were amazed and said, is this not he, is this not Saul who destroyed and called on, the, and, and called on this name in Jerusalem? And now he's come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. Everybody was confused. They said, this is the guy that used to put all the Christians in jail, and now he's preaching Jesus. But now listen to me, pay attention. Verse number 22 the Bible says he's been preaching Jesus, but now in verse number 22, the Bible says, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is Christ. Something happens between verses 21 and 22 of Acts chapter 9. Listen, Paul's preaching what he knows. But now the Bible says in verse number 22 that all of a sudden he's increased in knowledge. Well, what happened? When Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 17, Paul, Paul reveals that, that he, the Holy Spirit led him in to, to the area of, of Arabia, out into the desert. And the Bible says that he, he, he led me there to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now listen, Paul says, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and then I returned to Damascus. What happened? After Paul got saved, listen, God led him out into the desert. All of this Old Testament scripture that he had been taught, that he had learned, that he really didn't fully understand because he didn't have the Holy Spirit, God took him out into the desert so that he could learn the deeper truths about God. And now he returns to Damascus and he preaches with more confidence. He has more assurance. See, Paul preached first just uh, what he knew. Now he's preaching who he knows. Do you see the difference? He first preached just what he knew. You know, someone shared with him how to be saved. I mean, God hid him, zapped him, and says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest me? Who art thou, Lord? Acts 26, we'll see his testimony in a minute. He surrendered to Christ's lordship. He preached all that he knew. But now he's spent time in the Word and under the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and now he has a deeper 
knowledge of God. He's able to, to preach with more confidence. Friend, listen, you can't share who you don't know. So if you've never been saved, you've got nothing to share. You need to know Jesus in a personal saving relationship. We're going to invite you to do that today. But the reason many of you are intimidated, listen, not to share your faith is because you know, you don't know from Scripture even how to, sh- to lead someone to Christ. Because you can't stand up and say, well, up at Greenwood we believe. Who cares what we believe at Greenwood? The authority we have when we witness is the Bible says. And so you've got to get in Scripture and study Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, John 3.16, Luke 13.3, Romans 10.9 and 10, Ephesians 2.8.9. You've got, you have to be able to share with people, friend, not just, not just what you know, but who you know. To be able to share with people what God has done in your life and how he's changed you. And it takes time, and it takes effort. And I realize evermore, friend, listen, our government blesses laziness, but God will not. And if you're going to grow in your knowledge of him, you've got to get up and get your face in his word and read and study and then obey it. And so Paul was praying that they would grow in their knowledge of him. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them. By your, by your truth. Your word is truth. Do you, do you want God to use you more in these last days? I mean, do you really want your life to count and your life to be used by God to reach somebody and to keep them out of the fires of hell? Do you really want that? Friend, you will not be set apart for God's use apart from your study of His Word. And it begins with the knowledge of Him. Paul also prayed that they would grow not only in their knowledge of Him, but in their knowledge of His coming. Look at verse number 18. The Bible says, I'm praying that you grow in your knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Look what he continues to say in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 18. He says, that, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What, what, is, what is the hope? Uh, now, remember, Paul's going to share, we're going to see here in a few weeks, in verses, or next week, in, in, in verses 12 through 13 uh, of chapter 2. He says that at that time before you were saved, when you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul says, before you got saved, you're without hope. He says, I don't care how many houses you own, how much land, how fat your 401k is, how many friends, how many followers. I mean, that's the big thing now. How many followers you have. He says, none of that stuff matters. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you are without hope. He says, and I'm praying that you'll grow in your knowledge of, of, of his coming because that's our hope, friend. That's the blessed hope that we have that one of these days Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. He says, and the more you know about that and the more you remind yourself of that, he says, the, the, more, the more encouraged you're going to be to live every day as if this might be the last day you have to see Jesus Christ. And he's, when he comes and finds you, he's going to find you living faithfully. I hope it's just certain glad assurance. We, we can have a certain glad assurance that Jesus is going to come for his church. He says, well, it's been, it's been 2,000 years since Acts chapter 1 and in verse 11, when after Jesus ascended, you know, they're just all standing there. They're looking up in the sky, and, and all of a sudden, 
two angels appeared and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will in same manner as you saw him come back. He's, he's going to come back the same way that you saw him. See, it's been 2,000 years today. He hasn't come yet. He hasn't, friend. But if God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's our hope. It's our assurance. The more we read that, the more that we're encouraged in that. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, I'm going away. I'm preparing a place for you that I may one day come and that where I am, you're going to be with me. Paul says, I'm praying that you'll learn about that more and more. In Acts chapter 26, Paul was sharing his testimony with Agrippa. And, and he was trying to tell him how he came to know Christ and, and the ministry that God called him to. But in, in verse number 17 of Acts chapter 26, he, he begins to share with King Agrippa. He, he says, but Jesus said to me, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, Saul. He says, but rise and, and stand on your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things that I'm going to reveal to you. Now listen, this is Jesus talking to Paul. He says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well from the Gentiles whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan that they may receive forgiveness of sins, listen, and an inheritance among those who were sanctified by me in faith. Friend, listen, I've got good news. What we're living in today, this isn't the end of it for Christians. It's not, friend, listen, we've got a better place to go. We've got a promise. One of, one of the encouraging truths down through church history that has encouraged people onto faithfulness is the biblical truth of the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. That means before God unfurls his wrath upon this world through seven years of great tribulation, Jesus is coming again, and he's going to snatch his church out of this place. And so Paul says, I'm praying every day that you're going to grow in the knowledge of, of the blessed hope, of that blessed hope that Christ is coming. Well, what, it's, it's a motivation that keeps us moving forward in faithfulness. So as we gather today, friend, listen, we've got the rest of the day to live for Christ. This, this may be the day that Jesus comes. You're here and you need revival. Do you, if, if Christ comes in the rapture today, do you really want to face him in the air with unrepented sin in your heart? No. We've got another day tomorrow to live. If Jesus comes tomorrow afternoon, do you, do you want to face him knowing you, you walked by that person at work and he's been leading you to witness to her just to let him know you're praying for him? No. The, the, the truth of Christ's coming motivates us to faithfulness. But he also prayed not only would they grow in their knowledge of Christ and their knowledge of his coming, but in their knowledge of his inheritance, of Christ's inheritance. Look what, again, verse number 18 of the book of Ephesians chapter 1 says, he says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What are the riches of his inheritance? Friend, listen, one of the constant false doctrines that you're going to have to fight against in contemporary Christianity today is that you, you have your life and the church exists to help you figure out how to have your best life now. That's why the church exists. We're, we're here to help you figure out how to, how to be happy and to have your, your best life 
now. No, friend, one of the truths of Scripture, when, when you come to know Jesus Christ, friend, and you really get saved, you don't have a life anymore. You surrendered that life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And friend, I'm telling you, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, then you've never been saved. Nowhere does the Bible say, friend, that salvation comes by trusting Jesus to be your Savior. The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the... What? The Lord. It's by surrendering your life to his lordship. You come, friend, declaring spiritual bankruptcy, and you bring your life, and you give it to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, to a, very, a church that was plagued by division and hardship. Again, Paul was trying to remind them, verse number 19 of 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? He says, and you are not your own. You're not your own. He said, your body's not yours, your life's not yours. If you really got saved, you gave it to Jesus Christ because you were bought, your redemption was bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. How do we do that? With obedience. We do it with obedience and surrender to his will and to his word. And so Paul says, I'm praying every day that you'll continue to grow in the knowledge of that when you got saved, you were grafted into the bride of Christ, which is the inheritance of Jesus. Your life is not yours. You belong to him. To, ironically, the pastor that would later pastor that church in Ephesus, again writing from prison, to, to a young pastor in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul said to Timothy, the things which you've heard from me among many witnesses... He says, you commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others. What Paul was doing writing a letter to the Christians at Ephesus, he says, Timothy, you keep doing those things. The things that you're just keep building disciples. Keep building disciples. Reaching, teaching, and encouraging. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be the temptation from Satan. Listen to me. To say, well, the lost people down the street, they seem pretty happy. You know, they've got, you know, they don't do anything on the Lord's day. They just go on vacation. And I know some people go to some church. They only go to church once a month. They just seem so happy and they're so excited. No. Paul says, you remember, you've been grafted into the family of God. Your life is not your own. Listen to verse number 3 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he might please him who enlisted him to be a soldier. If you've been saved, say Amen. You're in the army now. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You have been enlisted in the army of God. Therefore, we can't become entangled with the doctrines and the thoughts and the things of the world. Our life, our bodies are not our own. They belong to Jesus Christ. We are his inheritance. And so a daily reminder of that and the knowledge of that, it, it keeps a buffer around us. Daily obedience keeps us moving forward as his inheritance, and it glorifies Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm praying you'll grow in your knowledge of him, your knowledge of his coming, your knowledge of his inheritance, that you're a part of it, but also your knowledge of his power, the power that's at your disposal to, to be effective in your walk with Christ. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. He says, and what is, 
What is the exceeding greatness of his power? He says, I, I, I cry out to God. I'm praying. Verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and you'll also know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same resurrection power that we've already looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that helps us understand God's word, but friend, it also helps you apply God's word. Remember those four words that describe our relationship to the Word. You have to know God's Word. You have to stow God's Word. You have to show God's Word, live it out, and then you sow it. No stow, show, sow. You can't do that apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit, from the power of the Holy Spirit. He says you've got to understand all that power that's there. Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus told those believers before he told them about the mission. And I, I love this because... He's the master teacher. And I've learned it in pastoring. You know, you, you, you surely saw it leading men. When, when, when you tell people to do something, we can't do that. We're not going to be able to do that. Jesus leads off in Acts 1 8 and says, And you shall receive power. Okay? Because he knew it the next part. And you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to start right in your home and you're going to begin to move out, reaching, teaching, and encouraging. And before they could even say, Well, how are we going to do that? We can't do that. He leads out and says, Listen, you're going to have power. I'm going to equip you to do what I'm calling and what I'm commissioning you to do. And friend, these years of ministry, when I've tried to encourage people to live on mission every day, I've heard every excuse that you can hear. I mean, every excuse possible. I'm not wired that way. I'm not a people person. I just can't. I said, well, you're talking to me, so you can carry on the conversation with somebody, right? Right? I mean, do you go to the grocery store? Then you make change, Right? You go to the doctor, then, then you, you know, you, yeah, what's, what's ailing you today? Well, this hurts, this hurts, and this hurts. And I promise you, you can always find somebody at church that'll tell you what's hurting, amen? So you can have a conversation with somebody, but what you've allowed the devil to do is to tell you, well, I can have a conversation with anybody about anything. Whatever my hobbies are, whatever, I can have a conversation with anybody about anything, but I, there's no way I can talk to them about how to be saved. Jesus says, you shall receive power. He said, you need to be daily studying and reminding yourself the power that you have available from God, Philippians 4, 13, which equips you to do what kind of thing? How many things? All things. Through Christ who strengthens, who empowers me. When you have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, friend, you have all the power that you need to accomplish what God wills you to do. Now, don't get off down here on the far end of the road and say, well, I'm just going to name it and claim it. I've got the power. No, friend, you've got the power to do all things in the perfect will of God. And as a growing disciple of Christ, you shouldn't want anything more than the will of God. Right? Thy will be done. He says, so daily I'm praying that you're going to grow in that knowledge. It's, it's the power. He says, well, I just don't know about that power. Well, Ephesians 2, verse 1, he made you alive when you were dead. Just as Jesus was dead, friend, and had been dead for three days, God raised him from the dead. If you've been saved, he raised you from the dead spiritually. And that same power is available to you every day to understand Scripture, to discover God's calling, to stand against temptation, we're going to see in Ephesians 6, the armament that we have in Christ. 
Whatever it is that God calls us to do, that power is there, and we need to understand it. We need to know it, and we need to be reminded of John 15, 5. Without Christ, we can do nothing. But with Christ, Philippians 4, 13, we can do everything that he wills us to do. So we need to deepen in our knowledge. Growth is required. We need to know about our knowledge of him, our knowledge of Christ's coming, our knowledge of Christ's inheritance, and of his power. And then third, Paul reminded them that governance was reclaimed. Now, I want you to move your shoulders a little bit. Go ahead. Sit up in your chair a little bit. Where This is the last point, okay? But we're going to get a little deeper on this one. All right? So don't tune me out. This is, you, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do what? All things here. You can understand this, okay? Stay with Paul wanted to remind them of how kingdom authority, the governance of the world that had been given to Adam, was forfeited to Satan, but was reclaimed by Jesus Christ. He wanted to remind them of that truth. Look what the Bible says in verse number 19 again of Ephesians 1. He says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Now listen, far above all principality, that's all, all rulers, all authority, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, that's that Paul's saying above all of them. Everybody, including Satan, that had any reign and rule upon this earth, he says, God has seated him far above all those things, and that every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in which is to come, he, God, has put all things under his, that's Jesus' feet, and has given him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, what does all this mean? Well, go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26 where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were having a conversation. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let man, let, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God says that's, that's going to be our plan. The psalmist wrote to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Psalm chapter 8 and verse number 6. He says, God, you have made him, man, to have dominion over the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet. Now listen, I don't want to get off, but I just want to pause and say, listen, friend, God didn't make man for the earth. God made the earth for man. And we're living in the day, friend, where there's a political movement to say, you know, that the earth's to be ruling over us. Now, I want you to listen to me, friend. We're, we've had discipleship lessons upon this. We're to be a good steward of the earth. We're to be a good steward of God's creation. You ought to be pouring your motor oil in a hole in the backyard. There ought to be raw sewage going into the creek or nuclear waste. But, friend, if you need to cut a tree down to burn wood, cut it down and burn it. If you need to cut a tree down to get a two-by-four to build a house, you ought to do it. But just to level all the trees so you can stockpile and make a bunch of money, that's not being a good steward. Friend, I want to tell you something. The earth's not going to blow up by global warming. The earth won't change until Almighty God says it's going to change. 
He's in control of that. The Bible says that all things were made by him, and all things consist through him, and all things are held together by him. Jesus is the glue of the galaxy. So I just want to say, in light of all the current headlines and things you're going to read today, don't get pulled off down into this Mother Earth, because there's no such thing. There is a Father God that spoke it all into existence, and it's still held in existence today by his word. And it won't come apart until he says so. And so we weren't made, friend, for the earth. The earth was made for us. And man was to have dominion over that. But something happened. Genesis chapter 3, the serpent was more subtle than the beast of the field, which the Lord God had created. And the serpent came in, and he beguiled Eve. She willingly sinned. She ate from the tree in the midst of the garden, which God said, You shall not eat from the tree in the midst of the garden. For the day thou eatest thou of, thou shalt surely die. Death was the penalty. Eve was beguiled. Adam willingly sinned. God came and found them and says, what have you done? And so Eve blamed, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. The snake didn't have a leg to stand on. And, but it was, it was Satan who had tempted Eve. And when that happened, listen, the authority that God had given to Adam to rule and to have dominion over the earth, he forfeited that title deed to Satan. At that very moment. And death came into the world. Satan spoke of it. In Luke chapter 4, verse number 6, as Jesus was beginning his ministry, and Jesus began to, 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 to be led into the desert to be tempted during those, those days. And Satan spoke to Jesus, and he led him to a high place. The Bible says in verse number 6, and the devil uh, in verse number 5, the devil take, took Jesus to a high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil looked at Jesus and he said to him, Now listen, all authority I will give you and their glory. He said, Now listen, don't miss this. He says, For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. When, it had been, when, when did that authority become Satan's? When Adam sinned. He forfeited control and dominion over the earth to Satan. And Jesus responded to him, but he didn't correct him. Because what he said was absolutely true because Jesus knew that Satan had control of the earth because Adam had forfeited it to him. He had rule. He was a principality. He was a power now upon the earth. Ephesians 6, 12, Paul says, For we not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 and 22, the Apostle Paul wrote these, these words, For since by man came death, by man also came resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now listen to me. Stay with me. Jesus had the ability just to squash Satan at any time. God as God could have crushed Satan, but he would have been less than God because he, he would have gone against his word. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. He had already given that penalty. And so the control of the earth had been forfeited to Satan. For it had been forfeited through a man. It had to be reclaimed by a man. And so Paul was saying, I want you to grow in your knowledge of how governance, rule of this earth, was reclaimed. He said, God just didn't crush Satan. The God-man, Jesus Christ, came 
and he paid the price that he might, what Adam forfeited, he might reclaim from Satan. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 14. Uh, the Bible says these words, Inasmuch then as their, their children have partaken of the flesh of the blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through his death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross, friend, he paid the price. He, he made the way that the control of the earth that had been forfeited by Adam to Satan was reclaimed and that through his sacrifice and through his reclaiming, we might be able to be partakers of that same kingdom authority. The book of Galatians chapter 4 and in verse number 3, the Bible says these words. Chapter 3, Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. He says, even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to do what? To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Paul says, I'm praying that, that you, might, you might be reminded that governance, rule of this world, has been reclaimed by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. John chapter 19, verse 30, friend, Jesus said three words. It is finished. It's finished. When he gave his last breath, when the last blood uh, that was in his body flowed from his body, there was no water left. When he died, friend, listen, that was his signature. That was closing day. That was the moment. He reclaimed title to the world. It, it was all his. And, and so then, that's why the Apostle Paul could write in verse number 20, which, which he worked in Christ, the power that he worked in Christ, that he raised him from the dead. He seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, that every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things in the church. They needed to be reminded, listen to me, that though the world was spinning out of control because of Satan's influence, they didn't have to spin out of control with it. Colossians 3.3 3 says, For you died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Listen to me. If we took you in a barrel today and nailed it up, and then took that barrel out and sunk it out in the river, would you be in the barrel or would you be in the river? You'd be in both. For you died and your life is hid with Christ in God. Paul says, Jesus isn't here on earth, friend. Listen, he's seated in heavenly places. Where are we? We're on this earth, friend, but listen, we're also seated in heavenly places. We're as good as there. That's what Paul was trying to remind them. In Ephesus, the world was spinning out of control because of Rome's rule and Rome's influence. But Paul says, you need to be reminded, friend, you're on the winning side. He said, Jesus Christ has reclaimed what Adam lost. And if you've been saved, friend, it's been reclaimed for you, and you are in that. And so don't walk around in the mully grubs all the time listening to the news and just being so defeated. There's no hope whatsoever. Friend, listen, it's already done. Jesus said not it will be finished. It is finished. And so we're on the winning side, and we need to be reminded of that. And so because of that, listen, and I close Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 7. 
Paul says, but to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, that is, when Jesus ascended after he rose from the grave, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He took all those Old Testament saints with him. Now, this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, to be prophets, to be evangelists, to be pastors, and to be teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Listen to verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure and to the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. What's Paul talking about here in Ephesians 4? It is when Jesus died on the cross. Friend, listen. They took his body and placed it in a tomb, but his soul was making his way to hell. And he bound the devil up in the corner, choked him down good, took the keys that Adam had given him, and he reclaimed the keys to death, the keys to hell, the keys to the grave, and the title deed to the earth. And all authority and governance was reclaimed because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary. And Paul says because of this, when he ascended on high, he gave us the ability to receive the Holy Spirit, to be saved. And look at verse 13 of Ephesians 4, to come to a place that you can be the perfect man and the perfect woman that God wants you to be. And it's all because, friend, listen, Satan isn't in control of everything. Jesus is because victory was won at Calvary. And Paul says, I want you to be reminded of this and live in light of these truths. And so the questions we need to answer as we come to a time of decision today are these. Do I have that kind of testimony that really displays a Luke 9.23 surrender? When, when Paul said, listen to me, I hear of your faith and your love to the brethren. If Paul heard about you, what would he hear? What's your testimony? You know, is Paul's prayer being answered in my life? Paul prayed that they would de deepen in their knowledge of God, in, in, their, in their knowledge of, 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 of the blessed hope of Christ's coming, of Christ's inheritance. And, 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 in, and in their knowledge of his power, are you daily growing in your knowledge because of the time you're putting in Scripture? Is Paul's prayer really reality in my life? And does the truth of reclaimed authority encourage me and make me love more deeply the Lord Jesus Christ and motivate me to deeper acts of surrender and abandonment to his lordship? It ought to. Friend, listen, without Jesus Christ, we would be without hope. We'd still be bound in chains to our sin and the damnation of this world. And I also want to say, friend, listen, you can't share who you don't know. You know Jesus Christ today? Paul met him. I want to tell you, I've met him. When they sing those songs today about the unseen hand, friend, listen, they mean something to me because I've met who I'm telling you about today. Have you met him? If you haven't, meet him now. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Ask you a simple question right now. If you died today, are you 100% certain that you'd go to heaven? 100% certain. He said, I'm just not sure you can know. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, these things are written, the plan of salvation is written, that you might know that you have eternal life. Do you know? If you don't, friend, know right now. Choose to turn from sin and self and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord of your life today. 
Paul did it. These people in Ephesus did it. Many people here have done it. I've done it. Jesus Christ changed my life, and he'll change yours. If you'll simply choose today to humble yourself before him and invite him to be Lord of your life as you turn from all your sin. Just tell him so right now in a simple prayer of faith, just like this. Oh, God, forgive me a sinner. I turn from all the sin that's in my life. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe he cried, it's finished. I believe he was placed in a tomb. I believe he was raised from the dead. And by faith, I'm inviting him. I'm responding to his invitation. I want him to come live in my heart and be Lord over every single part of my life, now and forever. That's my prayer. If you prayed that prayer, you invited Christ to come into your heart, the Lord of your life, and to save you from your sin. I want to invite you when Peggy begins to sing in a moment as we stand to our feet to make your way over to your left where Brother Brian Ken is going to be standing. He wants to pray with you and encourage you in that decision. We ask those questions, friend. Do you have that kind of testimony? Are you really growing in your knowledge every day? You know what the progress report says. You don't need to get one in the mail. You know the Holy Spirit's letting you know. And are you living in light of the truth, friend? Listen, that governance has been reclaimed. Satan has influence for just a little short time. But friend, listen, one of these days, he's going to be tossed headlong with every demon into the lake of fire for all eternity. Victory's been won at Calvary. Are you living in light of that truth and responding to the challenges of the world today? Father, thank you for the encouragement we find in your scriptures. How you encouraged those believers so many years ago, those truths still encourage us today. And Father, I pray whatever your Holy Spirit is inviting us to do now, we'll respond to and respond to your will. And you'll be glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray and amen. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If you need to make a decision, you need someone to pray with you, you step out. She's going to sing. You come right now if you need to make a decision. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I Trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. all going to sing another verse. You need to make a decision. Step out and come.
that's the testimony.